e-commerce landscape has transformed into a versatile and unique space, offering today's companies, large and small, an opportunity to increase sales and grow their business. This podcast offers an exciting opportunity for PriceBrider to unite and empower the e-commerce community at large by providing insights in a thoughtful and accessible way, all with the aim of providing immense value to brand manufacturers and retailers alike. Hi, this is Anthony Capazzoli with the Price Spider e-commerce connected podcast and today I have with me Mr. Michael Murphy a partner from K&L Gates and we're going to be talking about the three fundamental pillars for pricing policy success. Michael, welcome to the show. Awesome. Thank you Anthony and thank you for having me. As you said Michael Murphy, I'm an attorney at the law firm K&L Gates. Uh, K&L Gates is a global law firm. I'm based out of our Boston office. And essentially, I work with product manufacturers to design and implement distribution strategies, authorization programs, pricing policies, all with really two goals. One, to remove unauthorized internet resellers, and two, to combat online price erosion in the market. That's great. And uh, I'm really excited to have you on. Um, Michael and I go go back a ways. And I was lucky enough to be on a panel with uh, Mr. Murphy at our annual summit in Columbus, Ohio. So we talked about having him come back, uh, come on the show. So I'm really excited to have you on and talk. Uh, and, and unfortunately, you're going to be doing most of the talking today, sir, not me, which is which is good for the <laughs> listeners. Um, right. So I think, you know, have you dive right in, brother, and talk a little bit about what those fundamental pillars are for pricing policy success and offer some examples. And for the listeners out there, what's really nice is we'll be talking about these three fundamental pillars at a high level. Uh, and uh, Mr. Murphy will cover, obviously offer some color along the way, but we'll be diving into these individual pillars into more depth in future segments. So if there's things that you love, things that you missed, things that you want better covered, uh, have no fear, we'll be doing so together. Sure. So yeah, jumping in, I mean, look, generally what happens when a product manufacturer realizes they have unauthorized reseller issues or online pricing issues, you know, some poor person, and it's normally a person in sales or a person in marketing gets tasked with fixing this online problem, right? So what does that person do? They generally go online, they Google stuff, they see what's happening and they think, Hey, I just need to come up with this pricing policy and everyone calls every pricing policy a map policy. I'm going to come up with this map policy and it's going to solve all of our online issues. And generally what happens is they go online. They don't even think of it as even being a legal issue. They go online. They see what their competitors are doing. They see what people they perceive to have good pricing in the marketplaces are doing. They pull together, together elements of one, elements of another, They put it all together, and what they usually end up with is an illegal price-fixing agreement that does very little, if anything, in the marketplace. So, you know, step one is always to take a step back and figure out, hey, what are your goals, what are are your objectives, and how can we get there? You know, and one of actually the thing that a lot of people miss is a pricing policy is part of it, but really step one is the creation of some type of transparent authorized dealer network, right? So Anthony, you mentioned, you know, sort of the three pillars, the three legal foundations. Step one is the creation of a transparent authorized dealer network. What does that mean? Some type of authorization program where you as a manufacturer are actually getting transparency and control over who's selling your products and where they're selling them, especially online. 
I always say, you know, without control, you're never going to be able to achieve the sustainable and predictable dealer margins in the marketplace that you're looking for, right? So that's pillar one, and we can dive in to that a little more. You know, pillar two is really the pricing policy, right? And the pricing policy, there's a ton of confusion in all different verticals about what a pricing policy is, what a legal pricing policy is. We hear a lot about MAP policies. We hear a lot about unilateral policies. And we could talk a little bit today, you know, at a higher level of, you know, sort of what's a MAP policy, what's a traditional unilateral policy, how they work and what the legal implications uh, of those are. And then finally, the third pillar is really the enforcement, the monitoring and enforcement. So, you know, the authorized dealer network, the pricing policy, I like to say, think about it as the foundation to a house or tools in a tool belt, right? The yeah. more we do up front, it's going to give us the ability to actually have a stick in enforcement. And, you know, we can talk a little bit about what does that look like, right? Um, how do you do it? How do you enforce? How legally um, you can enforce things and mitigate your risk at the same time as well. I think it's great. Um, I love the fact that there's three focused uh, pillars, if you will. And I, you know, so that I, what I think is really interesting that you added is the transparent authorized dealer network agreement, which is really, really nice. So let's talk a little bit about that because maybe one of the things I want people to, before they roll their eyes, when they think about authorized uh, dealer networks or this process is some, some listeners are going to say, I have thousands of dealers out there. How in the world am I? And that's the whole point of this, right? Is to kind of get your arms around this in a systematic and methodical way. So I'll, I'll leave it to Murph to talk a little bit about what that looks and feels like and some ideas about process. Yeah, exactly right. Look, the days of, hey, I just sell to this wholesaler and they sell to whoever the heck they want and the products can end up wherever they want. They're over if you want to still have a brand in five or 10 years, right? You need to take control over how your brand is being represented, you know, especially on the internet and even more specifically on internet marketplaces, right? In the United States, and by the way, I do this in Europe and I also do this type of work in Asia, right? And in different regions of the world, you have different abilities. But of all those regions of the world, the United States is the most liberal in this area of the law. Right. And manufacturers, and this is a fundamental right for manufacturers in the United States, manufacturers have a right to choose who they do business with and who they don't. This is very important. Right. In other parts of the world, you can't do that. But in the U.S., you can. And it's very, very powerful. So the example I always give to clients on this is I could quit my job here at K&L Gates and I could say, you know what, I'm done with this whole lawyer thing. And, you know, I can call one of my clients and say, hey, I'm done with the legal thing, but you know what? I'm going to sell your products. I'm sending you a check for a hundred grand. It's my first PO and I'm opening up an Amazon storefront and I'm selling your products on Amazon. In the United States, you can legally say, hey, Michael, listen, you are fine as an attorney, but there's no way in hell I want you selling <laughs> my products on Amazon and reject my PO. Right. That, that's the starting block. Now, I'm not saying we should go out there and reject everyone's POs, right? But what I'm saying is you have that control. You can control who's authorized and who's not. But even more importantly than that, 
you can control where people sell your products. So for instance, someone can apply and say, hey, listen, I sell on Amazon, I sell on eBay, I sell on Jet, you know, I sell on my own independent website, and I want to sell all your products there. And you have a right as a manufacturer to say, okay, let's look at these marketplaces. I don't know, maybe you have a, you don't want anyone selling your products on eBay. So you, no one's allowed to sell on eBay. Maybe right. you're okay with it. You let them sell on eBay, but maybe you already have five or 10 guys on Amazon and you don't want any more. You don't have to allow them to sell on Amazon. And it really allows you to control your footprint. Now, one thing you mentioned, and this is a fair point. When I started doing this, by the way, I worked in the consumer electronics space and that's where it was. And it was 15 years ago and, you know, a bunch of guys in New York and LA started getting their hands on products and selling on eBay, creating a whole bunch of disruption. And, you know, at that time, a lot of the manufacturers, they went for what I call a full authorization program, where essentially everyone who touches your products needs to be authorized. So manufacturer sells to a distributor, the distributor agrees only to sell to an authorized dealer. The authorized dealer agrees only to sell to an end user. And you have this complete chain. But about five, six, seven years ago, clients started saying to me, hey, Michael, listen, we have thousands of brick and mortar sellers. And honestly, 99% of them do not cause any problems. They do their thing and it's great for business and we love them. And to have us go through and get all of them authorized we just, we can't do it right now. Maybe we can do it in five years, but it's just not what we need to do right now. We're really mainly concerned with the internet. So yep. what I did was I created what I call an internet authorization program. What does that look like? I mean, essentially anyone selling your products brick and mortar, keep on keeping on. However, what the rule at a minimum needs to be, anyone who wants to sell your products on the internet, whether they're direct whether they're indirect, it doesn't matter. Anyone who wants to sell your products on the internet needs to apply and be authorized directly by you, the manufacturer. And this is how you start establishing that control. I love it. It makes a lot of sense because I think it's not about boiling the ocean. It's about uh, picking the right path strategically uh, and getting people to identify the lanes they're going to be swimming in and staying in those particular lanes. Um, from an operational perspective, brands need to know who's selling their products um, and they have the right to do so, which that is the main takeaway here, which I think is awesome. And then only because we want to stay focused on about a 20 minute mark for our discussion today. And again, Murph is going to come back and have multiple follow-up segments um, if it's okay, Murph, let's transition into a little bit about the pricing policy and what that looks and feels like after uh, some success has been found under the internet authorized uh, program. Sure. So, you know, it's amazing how much cleanup you can do just on an internet authorization program, right? Because what you basically do, and we'll talk a little bit more about it in the monitoring and enforcement, but by creating the authorized reseller program alone, without even getting to a pricing policy, you're basically also not only getting control and transparency, you're also creating legal claims to go after and remove the unauthorized resellers from the internet. And the beautiful, beautiful thing about that is you can do it and it's not a pricing issue. You never have to mention price because they're not authorized to sell and they're selling somewhere they're not authorized to sell on. So from a legal perspective, 
you're greatly, greatly mitigating your risk. You can aggressively pursue unauthorized resellers if you set up your authorization program correctly, all the way up to and through targeted litigations to remove them from the marketplace. And again, the beautiful thing is you never have to mention price. Now, why does that matter? Because even in the United States, whenever you're dealing with price, it brings an inherent risk, right? There's a statute called the Sherman Act. I won't bore everyone with a lot of (laughs) statutes, legalese, or case law. But essentially what the Sherman Act says is agreements related to price are illegal, right? That's kind of the default. Now, there's case law that has changed things and, and there's some gray areas. But whenever you mention price, even if you're doing everything right, somebody can accuse you of illegally price fixing. Right. And the problem with that is even if you are right at the end of the day, you're going to spend a million dollars with my law firm, a million dollars with an economist and all these other people. So even a win ends up being a loss. Right. Right. So the idea is that whatever pricing policy you have and what I strongly advise clients regularly is you only use your pricing policy when you have to use your pricing policy. So let me give some examples. An unauthorized guy pops up on Amazon. He's winning the buy box, causing a lot of disruption. Everyone all of a sudden thinks, oh, that's a pricing policy issue. But the first question is, is he or she authorized, right? And if they're not, we have avenues to deal with it that way. The only time we should really be using our pricing policy is when we have an authorized reseller selling on an internet URL or marketplace location, they're authorized to sell on. And the only thing they're doing that we don't like is advertising or selling products below our pricing policy price. Now, pricing policies, what are our options? There's really two main options in the world of pricing policies. One is a unilateral policy, right? And a unilateral policy is really what most manufacturers end up using because they make the most sense for manufacturers. Not in all cases, but in most. What is a unilateral policy? Again, I won't bore you with 100 years of case law, but sometimes a unilateral policy is referred to as a Colgate policy. Colgate being the toothpaste manufacturer. It goes back to a case in June of 1919. That's right, it just turned 100, whatever, a few months ago, (laughs) right? But. It was the first time the Supreme Court of the United States was faced with pricing policy. And basically what the Supreme Court did was they recognized two independent rights. One, in fact, we already talked about today, is the right of you as a manufacturer, you can choose who you do business with and who you don't. That's your right. However, the Supreme Court also recognized the right of your customers. Your customers have a right to choose at whatever price They want to advertise or sell your products. Okay, so what the Supreme Court did, and for a legal nerd like myself, it's kind of cool. They took those two rights, which seems somewhat competing. They put them together and they said, so look, the rule in the United States is a manufacturer acting alone, right? This is the unilateral nature of it, can announce a pricing policy and then choose to stop providing products to people who fail to acquiesce or follow that policy. So what does a unilateral policy look like? Basically, you can announce a policy, 
you have a pricing grid on the minimum advertise, or you could even do resale price of certain products. Your customers can do whatever they want. That's clear. However, if they choose to not acquiesce or follow your pricing policy, then you have a right to stop supplying them products in the future. It could be one SKU, it could be a brand, it could be a family of products, all the way up to completely stop shipping them products. That's a unilateral policy in a nutshell. That's perfect. That's a really good description. And um, <clears throat> if it's okay, Murph, maybe describe a little bit about what a MAP policy looks like and the differences between a UPP versus a MAP policy. Sure. So traditionally speaking, a MAP policy is actually, you know, and nowadays I call them traditional MAP policies because, you know, pricing policies have been so, you know, I don't even know what the right word is. I guess like perverted over the last, you know, so many years because manufacturers have just begun doing a lot of different things and really questionable legal things. But what a traditional map policy is, it's really a, a creature of the 1970s, 1980s. And a lot of the case law and a lot of what you saw was around compact discs, right? CDs, you'd walk into a record store and every CD was $18.99 or whatever the price was. Right. But there's some fundamental differences between a map policy and a unilateral policy. A map policy, unlike a unilateral policy, one of the keys to the unilateral policy is that it's unilateral. It's not an agreement. A map policy actually can be an agreement, but it has to be tied to the use of cooperative advertising funds, right? So the legal justification is completely different. What courts have said is, hey, look, if a manufacturer is going to give uh, you know, a retailer, cooperative advertising funds to advertise and promote its products, well, then it should have some control over how those products are advertised and promoted, right? The downside of a map policy is there's only one thing you can do if someone violates or doesn't follow your map policy. It's withhold cooperative advertising funds. Now, for a lot of my clients, that's a stopping point right away for a map. Because a lot of their disruptors, a lot of their customers don't get cooperative advertising funds to begin with. So essentially, you're setting yourself up with a policy where you may have a carrot, but there's, there's no stick. Or you really don't have a carrot or a stick for a lot of these manufacturers, right? right? So for some, that becomes a hurdle. The other issue, which is a little bit more of a gray issue, is the applicability of map policies on the internet. Right. And a lot of the case law in the brick and mortar setting basically says once a consumer's in a store, it's no longer advertising, quote unquote, under a map policy. So what you see is a lot of the big marketplaces and a lot of the big retailers take the position that once a consumer's on their website, they're quote unquote in the store. So it's not a violation of your map policy. And then they won't allow you to withhold co-op. So that can be tricky as well. What happened yep. about, you know, 12 years ago is a case came out called the Legion case. And the Legion case, you know, changed sort of the legal rule on pricing policies and moved them from a standard of per se illegal, which meant automatically illegal, to they have to be viewed under the rule of reason. What the rule of reason essentially means is you have to weigh all of the you know anti-competitive effects, all of the pro-competitive effects, and then a jury is going to tell you whether it's legal or not. What a lot of manufacturers mistakenly took that to mean 
was that pricing policies are legal and I can do whatever I want, right? And that's not what it means. Again, your policy may be legal, but you're going to spend a lot of money defending it. And what I always say is that the unilateral policy can really get you where you need to be. I think it's the oldest, the safest, and the most effective pricing policy you know, that you can have if your true goal is combating online price erosion you know, with consumer products. Perfect. Um, so maybe in a nutshell, too, I think the unilateral pricing policy extends to the sale price and the advertised price, <clears throat> where map price is, as you already described, depending yeah. on the flavor of it, is generally tied to uh, advertising funds in association with advertised pricing. Yep. So traditionally speaking, a, a, a very safe legal map policy can only be advertised price. Advertised price sometimes has a pretty limited definition. And the only thing you can legally do is withhold cooperative advertising funds. A unilateral policy, on the other hand, can apply to whatever you want. You can have it apply to advertised price. You can have it apply to resale price. You can actually define in your policy what you want it to apply to. And the only thing you can do, though, on your unilateral policy is stop the supply of products. Yeah. No, that's that's perfect. And so the last pillar is the monitoring and enforcement layer. Now, we could talk just briefly about this, if you don't mind, Murph, just to round out the three pillars. Sure. And we can dive in a little bit more specifically. But uh, if you could talk about how these three pillars tie together to what I would call maybe add sting or, the, as you mentioned, the carrot and the stick approach, which ultimately falls into this third pillar. Yeah, so the third pillar, really, of, of the three, I mean, this is the enforcement arm, right? This is, you set up the foundation, right? Now we have it. Now what can and what will we do, right? And it's actually pretty simple at the end of the day. I mean, one, I call it monitoring and enforcement because, look, I'm an attorney, right? And I have a team of paralegals, but, you know, if you want to go out there and identify every problem seller selling everywhere on the internet, Right. That's where the price fighters in the world come in, Anthony. Right. That's where that's where you guys come in and you can do the web scrubs and we can see who's selling where. And then I can help you take that information and really come up with strategies to remove the true disruptors out there in the marketplace. So that's identifying the problem sellers. And then the second part is, OK, now what do we do about them? And it all depends on who they are and what they're doing. Right. Are they unauthorized? If they're unauthorized, you know, we start with C and D letters and we go all the way up to and through litigations. If say if they're authorized, but they're only authorized for their own site and they're selling on, say, Amazon. Well, now that we have an authorized agreement in place, they're in breach of their agreement. So it's a very simple issue. We can send them a warning letter that says you're not authorized to sell on Amazon. Remove your listings or we're going to be forced to terminate you. A lot of times we build in liquidated damages and different things like that. So we attach a monetary penalty for people who have reached their agreement, but it gives us ways to deal with all of these issues. And then the final piece, as I mentioned before, is if we have an authorized guy selling on an internet URL or a marketplace location they're authorized to sell on, and the only thing they're doing is a pricing issue, then we have a very specific methodology that we deal with pricing policies to send notifications and take actions, but to do it in a legally safe and responsible way. I love it. This has been a really good segment. So uh, I've, first of all, identify your goals and objectives as a brand. Second, um, so that, that's kind of overarching. So the first pillar is uh, authorized dealers, 
identifying the authorized dealers transparently, if you will. So transparent authorized dealer network. Number two is the pricing policy and whatever flavor is best suited to meet your goals and objectives. And then finally, monitoring and enforcement. Um, and then, of course, Murphy's going to come back and we're going to take deeper dives into each of these individual pillars and then some. There's going to be more uh, than just those three pillars as we kind of go forward. So for the listeners, Murph, first of all, thank you very much for being on the show and a wonderful guest. And how do our listeners find you if they want to reach out and talk to you themselves? Sure. So, well, thank you first uh, for the time. And it's been a pleasure. As you know, I'm probably overly passionate about this stuff and I love it. Um, but. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you can find me online if you Google me, Michael R. Murphy at KL Gates. My phone number is 617-261-3132. My email is michael.r.murphy at klgates.com. That is awesome. Brother, thank you very much for being a wonderful guest on the show. I look forward to future segments with you to take deeper dives and unpack some of these boxes with you, brother. It's always great talking with you, and I'm sure the guests feel the same way. Thank you.